Well, good evening, and welcome to the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm Carla Hayden, and thank you for joining us today. We're very pleased to have all of you here for the summer edition of our Writers Live series. And tonight, I'm particularly excited that we have our special guest. Um, you may know that the Howard County uh, Library System has a whole program featuring tonight's guest, and I just said that we are very jealous. But he graciously said that tonight is our night, and so we're very pleased because he's here to tell us what to do with things that have probably happened to you. Someone picks up and answers a cell phone in a movie theater. A driver and proceeds to talk for a little while. That happened to me recently. A driver cuts you off on the road or when a sale clerk ignores you. We've all been there, and most of us really don't know what to do well, we do some things, but we don't know what may be the proper thing to do <laughs> when this happens. And so that's where our special writer comes in. He's the author of the, a new book, The Civility Solution, What to Do When People Are Rude. And he's an award-winning professor of Italian literature at Johns Hopkins University and is definitely one of the premier authorities on civility and good manners. In 2000, he founded the Civility Initiative at Johns Hopkins and over the years has continued to teach courses on the theory and history of manners. In 2002, he released Choosing Civility, and it has sold thousands and thousands of copies and is a certified bestseller. He's appeared on numerous radio and television shows, including CBS Sunday Morning, and is a regular on-air contributor to WYPR. So tonight... In his new book, which is more like a practical handbook, I would say, he helps us break the rudeness cycle in an assertive yet civil way and reinforce good behavior to make our world a more civil place. We are ordering it for our managers here at the Pratt Library. <laughs> <laughs> and with rush hour and traffic as, we, um, as it is, we'll all need his advice probably on our drive home tonight. So we're very pleased to welcome to the Enid Pratt Free Library, Dr. P.M. Forney. Thank you very much, uh, Director. Uh, and thanks to you uh, for being here tonight. I'm very grateful for your presence. I'm honored that uh, in the middle of summer so many people come to uh, a lecture uh, on manners in a library. Uh, this seems also very good for civilization and the survival <laughs> of civilized life. Um, uh, yes, my name is P.M. Forni, and uh, I have been a professor at Johns Hopkins University for the past 22 years. And for the first... Uh, 10, 12 years. I was just a straight literary scholar uh, writing uh, books uh, of uh, scholarly import on early Italian literature, Italian literature of the 14th century. And that was my identity. But then at a certain point uh, in the mid-1990s, mid I de decided that I needed to concern myself with something that had a more direct relevance with everyday life. And I found it in uh, this uh, wonderful world for me that is the world of civility, good manners, and politeness. And uh, what I've been trying to do over the past 10, 15 years is to de-trivialize the issue 
of good manners and politeness and uh, to show that they are not just about which fork to choose for the salad, but they are about uh, our everyday life and how we treat one another in everyday life and uh, what's more important than that. In, in 2002, uh, I published a book called uh, Choosing Civility, The 25 Rules of Considerate Conduct, and which is exactly what the title says and the subtitle says. Is a, it is a manual of rules or, or ways, if you don't like the world rule that is so uh, strong, or ways of being civil uh, with others in our private lives uh, at, at work. And it argues uh, what the main reasons for being civil to others are and what is in it for us and for society when we do that. What are the advantages? What are the benefits, for instance, of fostering a climate of civility in the workplace? And there are several uh, reasons uh, that you will find in that book. But then over the years, many readers of Choosing Civility told me, Dr. Forney, you have wonderful things to say about uh, how to be a good person, a, a socially uh, savvy person, uh, one person, a person with uh, a, um, a good relational competency. But what, when, what do, are we to do when others are not kind to us, are not considerate and kind? Uh, when others are rude. Uh, you should write a book, uh, sort of a, a specular book to choosing civility, a book that is about how to defend yourself uh, from uh, rude and aggressive behavior. And I thought it was a, it was a good idea. I thought it was an, a natural follow-up to choosing civility, and I started to work on that. And this book came out only four, four weeks ago, the 10th of June, and... Uh, this is the book that we are presenting tonight uh, here uh, at, the, at the Pratt Library. Uh, I thought that I would do a mix of conversation and readings from the pages of the book to give you a sense of what you find there. I think this is the main reason that uh, you are here. You want to know uh, about the book, but maybe you want to know about the person. And in order to do that, I will leave plenty of time for questions and answers uh, uh, at the end uh, of my informal presentation. I will keep it rather informal, if you don't mind, uh, to the extent that uh, a Hopkins professor can be informal. Uh, but I'll, I'll try very hard. This is how the book begins. This is the very first part of page of the book. This is how Marcy recalls the one encounter with rudeness that sticks in her mind. Needing to run a quick errand before work, I threw on a business suit and ran out the door. Driving north on a wide through street, I climbed a small hill to a stoplight. A man in another car was waiting for me to pass so he could pull out of his subdivision. I did pass and then stopped at the red light a few yards up to make a left turn. The man pulled up alongside me to turn right at the light and leaned out of his window. The nasty expletive exploded from his lips. It was pure spite delivered with shocking bluntness. At least the kids weren't in the car to hear him. Shaken, I began to tremble, not with anger, but with the sting of an unexpected wound. Why me? Why such an extreme reaction? Didn't he see I was just a working mom driving my minivan to work? I was not ignorant or inconsiderate, selfish or dim-witted, and I certainly was not what he called me. 
the unfairness of it all hit me. Should I follow this man and at the first opportunity demand an explanation? Maybe offer an apology? No, better to do my errand and get to work. I began to cry. I felt so abused, so punished, so violated, so deeply hurt, and eventually very angry that I could not defend myself. The incident affected me for days afterward. The next time I climbed that hill to the stoplight, I looked around to see what I might have done to cause the outburst. Eventually, after a long time, I realized it was more the man's problem than mine. Marcy's tale is unusual only because she never did find out what caused the stranger's outburst. Her emotions, however, are quite familiar. All of us have been shocked by people behaving rudely. Rude relatives, bosses, co-workers, fellow drivers, and strangers in literally all circumstances of life have made us feel at fault, helpless, and angry. We have bristled at the unfairness of their attacks and at times endured lingering hurt. Clearly a problem in the lives of individuals with negative effects not only for its victims but also for its perpetrators, rudeness is also a social problem with costs estimated in the billions of dollars. And I will talk a little bit about the monetary talk, costs uh, that go together with the cost in terms of human misery uh, when uh, it comes to uh, rudeness and uh, hostility. Rudeness may be everybody's everyday problem, but millions remain unprepared for their encounters with it. This book aims to help you find exactly what rudeness is and how it works. Most important, you will learn how to defend yourself effectively and civilly from its daily challenges. Being civil is the sterling strategy for rudeness prevention. If you are respectful and considerate, most of the people with whom you come in contact will be motivated to be the same in return. Most of the people, not all of the people, unfortunately. We wouldn't be here with the books tonight if that were the case. When rudeness can't prevent it, civility is still your best choice, and the stories that follow show over and over again. Although we cannot hope to ban rudeness for our lives altogether, we can limit both its occurrences and its impact. When we handle it well, we feel good about ourselves and reap other substantial benefits, such as healing wounded relationships. Being, being prepared is half the solution to any problem. Put this book to work for you and never let rudeness catch you unprepared again. This gives you a sense uh, of what the book is about and what I wanted to accomplish with it. And of course, as you can imagine, the first uh, um, thing that I wanted to do in a book like this is to define rudeness. Because if you think of it, it's not very easy to define it. We, we all know what it is when we meet with rudeness, when we encounter rudeness in everyday life. But to just define it uh, is not very, very easy. And I found that, well, one way of defining it is to say that it's the opposite of civility. And I define civility uh, in my, my first book, Choosing Civility, as a form, uh, civility, good manners, and politeness as forms of attention, as forms of awareness. Civility is a form of benevolent awareness. We are civil when we are aware of others and we weave restraint, respect, and consideration into the very fabric of that awareness. Civility is a form of attention. 
like love. It's impossible to love without paying attention. Uh, both love and civility are forms of attention. So you can say that rudeness is the opposite of awareness, is the opposite of uh, attention, is therefore disregard or disrespect. Uh, the etymology, the origin of the words regard and respect have always fascinated me. To regard and to respect mean to take a second look at something or someone. Regard, look again. It's the repetition, respect. It is to look back, to turn back, and take, an, uh, take another look at someone or something. It is that second look that says that you are respecting the person, that you deem the person worthy of your attention, that you are not ignoring. When you don't give the second look, you do not respect, you do not regard, because you are not, you're ignoring the other person. So when we are polite, when we are considerate, when we are kind, we regard. So the original meaning of to regard is to look again, to notice, to keep in view. To disregard, then, is to look elsewhere, to withdraw attention, and with it, respect and consideration. By treating others curtly, we put them in their place, which is a way of controlling them and thwarting their attempts at controlling us. Through rudeness, we show off, dominate, intimidate, coerce, threaten, humiliate, dissuade, and dismiss. Rudeness is control through invalidation. When we have a good relationship with others, we validate them. We, we use words, uh, actions uh, that validate them, that, that solidify the, their sense of self-worth, sometimes with just a smile. A smile is the simplest act of, of validation. It's a, it's a wonderful tool that uh, nature has given us. Uh, it is, uh, among other things, the gateway to rapport. Rudeness, on the other hand, is control through invalidation, control of the other person through invalidation. Acts of rudeness can ruin our days and sometimes remain etched in our memory for years. They come in many varieties, the acts of rudeness, but they have one thing in common. They bruise and they wound. This is the reason rudeness warrants the investment of time and energy necessary to understand it and learn effective ways of dealing with it. So again, it's an issue of detrivializing, of showing that when, when we talk about rudeness in this case, uh, we are talking about something that is, has a profound effect, a profound impact, a strong impact on the quality of our lives. We give, I'll give you just an example that may, some of you may have heard me do when I speak about civility rather than rudeness. Tonight I speak mostly about rudeness, so it's somewhat new to me, um, at least when it comes to a public presentation. Uh, when we are uh, the... Sorry, I lost <laughs> my... Uh, when we are rude... Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 
Okay, yes, sorry. Uh, one of the fundamental things, one of the fundamental reasons, uh, I was making a connection with uh, talking about uh, the reasons because civility is important in life. One of the reasons that I always present when I talk about civility is the connection between civility and the lowering of levels of violence. Let's take the American workplace. In any given year, in the American workplace, there are about two million acts of physical violence that take place. Two million acts of physical violence, from a worker showing a coworker to a worker shooting a coworker. How do we know that there are so many? Because they are reported, which always also means that they are probably un uh, underreported, and they are probably maybe two, two and a half million or so. Now, if we go from acts of physical violence to acts of rudeness, to acts of incivility, to acts of disrespect, how many do you think there are? Probably billions, actually. The fact that we don't know, why don't we know? Because they are not reported in general. What we do know, however, is that many of those acts of physical violence for which we do have a figure have their origin in an act of disrespect, in an act of rudeness that spirals out of control. Incivility spirals into violence very often. So one of the uh, incentives to um, foster a culture of civility, especially in the workplace, but everywhere, is that by keeping the levels of civility up, we keep the levels of violence uh, down. And so uh, this is uh, a very important uh, rule when it comes to rudeness, why rudeness uh, is not a trivial matter. Now, one thing that I knew for, from the very beginning when I uh, started to map the book in my mind a couple of years ago was that I didn't want to, to be just a reactive manual, a handbook of reacting on how to react. You, somebody's rude to you, you react uh, and tell, telling my readers what to do. I wanted it to be, first and foremost, a book on how to prevent rudeness. How, I said, I want to, I said to myself, I want to tell my readers how they can become the kind of persons that people are less likely to be rude to in the first place. Prevention. How can you become the kind of person that people are less likely to be rude to? This has to be the first part of my book, I said to myself. And then, if this fails, uh, if the prevention doesn't work for any re reason, sometimes we are not in the position of preventing. If we, somebody cuts us off uh, on, the, on the road, well, that's too late. Actually, even in that case, we can do something. We can be very disciplined in our own driving, hoping that others will not attack us. But certainly, there are many cases in which we have to react. And so that's the second part of the uh, second chapter of the book on how to do that. But it is what's very dear to me is this first uh, third of the book in which I discuss what the civility solution is. And the way of becoming the kind of person people are less likely to be rude to is to put in place the civility solution, to be civil, considerate, and kind. 
many, in many cases, people will respond in kind. In many cases, they will do. Uh, and uh, the next question is, of course, how can you have a civil life? How can you lead a civil life in everyday uh, occurrences so that others will be inclined, in many cases, to follow you on that path of sanity uh, and, uh, and kindness? Well, that's where Chapter 2, Preventing Rudeness, eight, civil, uh, eight Rules for a Civil Life, comes into, uh, into the picture. In this uh, chapter, I list eight ways of transforming, to a certain extent, our life to make it more sane, more considerate, more kind, in the hope of showing others how to follow us upon that path. I'm going just to list the eight uh, rules for a civil life without uh, uh, lingering on uh, any of them for too, too long because it's something that you can find in the book, but I think it's an important step and I want at least to mention. Number one, slow down and be present in your life. Slowing down. Uh, we live in a, such a hectic way, way. We are so di task-directed so goal-oriented that we don't think that uh, as we engage in a, what is sometimes a mad rush uh, to accomplish our own goals and, and uh, objectives, we don't think that we have the luxury to slow down for the sole purpose of being kind to others. We are caught in this mad rush. And true, in order to be kind, you need the time to be kind. And we very often don't think we do. So we have to make kind. Slow down and be present in your life. Number two, listen to the voice of empathy. S develop uh, a more sophisticated ability to put yourself in the shoes of others. Three, keep a positive attitude. Four, respect others and grant them plenty of validation. Validation uh, is one of my favorite words. Uh, validation is when we act and speak in a way that makes others uh, feel good about themselves. What's better than that? What can we do better, uh, more creative, more noble, uh, more spiritual in everyday life than say or do something in the presence of another person that makes that other person feel good about herself or himself. I cannot imagine anything better than that. Respect others and grant them plenty of validation. And plenty of validation uh, can be a praise, uh, a simple praise of the other person, of somebody or something that the other person owns or displays uh, on her person or, or in her house. Uh, an act of validation can be uh, congratulating uh, a father on an accomplishment of, of his son and, or, or a smile or offering uh, a, a neighbor who's walking his dog on a hot day to put some uh, water in a bowl for the dog before he scurries home with his owner. 
These are all, these are all acts of validation that make up, uh, make for a, for a civil life. Disagree graciously and refrain from arguing. Refrain from arguing. That's another uh, preferred uh, sentence of mine or rule of mine. Uh, it's not really mine, actually. I should say that uh, the great uh, lesson on not arguing comes from Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie, uh, still uh, a, a great uh, man and a great thinker, a very great practical philosopher and moral philosopher, used to say, never argue. Just don't argue. Because if you lose, you lose. And if you win, you lose. <laughs> and I think there is a lot of wisdom in this consideration uh, because very often we, when we win, we prevail on the other person, but we do that at a, cost, at a cost because the other person maybe will not be as well disposed to as us and it may, we may put a dent on our relationship with other, the other person and so on and so forth. Disagree graciously and refrain from arguing. Six, get to know the people around you. Try to eliminate to a certain extent, to the extent that you can, anonymity. Anonymity and stress are two great determinants of rudeness. They produce rudeness, anonymity and stress. When we are stressed, we are less inclined to be patient uh, and tolerant of the mistakes of others. And we are, when we live in an, in a, in a, an act in an, an anonymous environment, when we don't know the people around us, we are not as inclined to be kind to them because they seem irrelevant to our future and to our lives. And so we are not at our best. And by the way, the two, uh, anonymity and stress, come together uh, in traffic. Uh, when we are in traffic, we are stressed because we are late from taking our children to school. Uh, and we are in an anonymous environment because the driver in the other car is really a, a driving cipher. It's a, an entity without face, maybe a quasi-person, but not quite human. And we are protected in the steel cocoons of our cars, and we really think, literally, that we can get away with anything. Stress and anonymity make us so, and so it is uh, not unlikely that we, if there is a slight exchange, things can uh, get to a point and, uh, that uh, uh, a fisticuff can ensue or sometimes a stabbing or sometimes a shooting, uh, what we call road rage. Seven, pay attention to the small things. Pay attention to the small things. And here is, again, the word, the notion of attention that comes to our attention. I think that paying attention. And finally, ask don't tell. Whenever you find yourself in life, uh, especially with your spouses, uh, with the family, your friends, uh, people close to you, whenever you are in the position of choosing, of formulating what is on your mind in a form, uh, in, a, in, a qu in a question, what do you think if, what, do you thi what, what if we did this, instead of telling, 
do, do, let's do this, let's do that. Um, that is also a very good uh, rule of thumb for uh, the civil life and for um, entertaining harmonious relationships with uh, others. The book goes on to uh, examine each of these rules. Again, slow down and be present in your life. Listen to the voice of empathy. Keep a positive attitude. Respect others and grant them plenty of validation. Disagree graciously and refrain from arguing. Get to know the people around you. Pay attention to the small things and ask, don't tell. There is one, one or two pages, there are one or two pages dedicated to each of, of these uh, uh, ways. And uh, in parentheses, uh, I will just note as quickly as possible because I don't want to uh, stray too much that uh, the reason people are very often inclined to follow us uh, in the mood in which we are. For instance, if we are in, uh, have you noticed, for instance, if you have a, spouse, a spouse at home and you arrive in a good mood and uh, your spouse picks up on your good mood and, uh, and, and, and there is a positive, a positive change. Uh, that happens thanks uh, at the neurological level, thanks to the, what uh, scientists now call mirror neurons. The mirror neurons were discovered by a, a team of scientists at the University of Parma a few years ago, the team of Professor Rizzolatti, who uh, is rumored to be uh, um, on the short list from the Nobel Prize uh, in the next few years. The mirror neurons are cells in our brain that uh, dispose themselves and fire in certain ways according to the mood that we are in. Uh, for instance, if we are in an aggressive mood, uh, just like uh, a Christmas uh, tube with lights that uh, go on and off, uh, then you can twist it and give it a certain form, so they, in, a, in certain areas of our brain, they take that certain form. As you do that, as you are in an, in, let's say, in an harmonious and in gentle and kind mood, the person in your presence, the, the mirror neurons in the brain of that person dispose themselves in the position, in the configuration of the mirror neurons of the other person. Uh, in, in what, what we have found today is the uh, physical, the neural basis of empathy. It's a, it's a spectacular discovery, and it tells us why very often people are willing to follow us uh, in our moods and uh, in our um, ways of acting in everyday life. Now, very quickly, what if prevention doesn't work? Well, if prevention doesn't work, then uh, you, have to, you have to confront the fact that it doesn't work, which doesn't mean that you have to confront the other person necessarily, because the first thing to do is to stop, uh, cool off, calm yourself, and uh, decide whether you want to 
bring the issue to the attention of the offender, if you want to make an issue of it, if you want to respond vocally. And uh, the third part of the book, before the examples, uh, the situations and solutions that are a good part, there are at the end of the book more than 100 situations, rude situations, rude encounters with the solution, the suggestion of how to handle them, and I'm going to read a couple of them in just a minute. But before that, I give the a very simple formula, very commonsensical formula that has been tested by psychologists for the past 20 years or so on how to uh, go about uh, what to do when rudeness strikes. I call it the three plus three sequence. Uh, you do three things before doing anything else and then three things to complete what you're supposed to do. Very quickly, you cool off and calm yourself. You don't take it personally. And uh, and you decide what to do. Cool off and calm yourself. Don't take it personally and decide what to do. Don't take it personally. Very often, in traffic, for instance, you just happen to be in the line of fire. If you were not there, somebody else would have to, do, to deal with the rude person or the person who is being rude at that very moment. So depersonalize the slight. Step back and say, this is not me. This is not directed to me as a person. It's not individualized. Uh, and that uh, is going to be... Um, it is going to make a difference. Sometimes I suggest to think of an act of rudeness as a package. The person who's being rude gives you this package, hands the, you the package, the act of rudeness. And at that point, you have to take it because it has happened. You cannot make it disappear. You take it, but it, you return it because it's not yours. And it's not yours because it's really a problem. Very often, it, it's a problem that, that the other person has uh, that makes the other person be rude. So it is a package that you accept, that you return to the sender, because it really belongs to the sender and not to you. The other person maybe is uh, suffering from chronic fatigue, has a child in the hospital, or is afraid of losing his job. As Francis Scott Fitzgerald observed, it's not a slam at you when people are rude. It's a slam at the people they've met before. It's a very profound observation. It's not a slam at you when people are rude. It's a slam at the people they've met before. So the liberating feeling that this is not about you may free you from the need to confront the aggressor. And so decide, at, at this point, you decide what to do. Uh, do you bring the issue at the, to the attention of the other person, of the offender? Make sure that the, this is a good time to do so. Um, if an altercation ensues, you are going to disturb so many other people. Maybe you don't want to create a scene uh, out of respect of the host that has invited you and the offender. Uh, 
Um, so you always have the choice to let the slide go unremarked and uh, forget about it or postpone addressing it. You always have that action, that uh, option. However, be careful not to develop the habit of avoiding confrontations altogether, especially with friends, family, and spouses. It's not a good idea to just uh, repress and repress. If you are the, the recipient of acts of rudeness, of an acts of, of, of uh, lack of consideration from a spouse, let's say, that spouse, is, if you don't say anything, will do it again and again and again, and you repress and repress and repress. At the end, what is going to happen? One day you explode. And your spouse will say, but you never told me that it bothered you. How was I supposed to know? And now you're doubly at fault. You're at fault for not having said anything and for having exploded. And so it's not where you want to be in that kind of situation. Now, uh, why, why do I say it's better when you do it with family and friends? Because with a stranger, you never know where it can go. And safety should, have a, should, should be, uh, of course, a concern. So this is the first three, uh, three part, these are the first three parts of the sequence. Cool off and calm yourself, don't take it personally, and decide what to do. Now, we have spent 10 minutes on this, but it's something that you can do in a few seconds, of course. Uh, this is all spelled out. At this point, there is a th another three uh, set of three segments, which I call SIR, State, Inform, and Request. You state to the other person what the other person has done that has offended, bothered you, or perplex you. You inform the other person of what their behavior has done to you, and then R, request that the behavior be changed. For instance, um, state, you bring the troubling facts to the offender's attention. For instance, if you were being accused of being disingenuous, or less than frank, or less than honest, say, you doubted my sincerity. State, pure statement. Now, inform. In a concise in, uh, way, you let the other person know how the effect of what, happened had on, of what happened on you. That felt unfair and hurt my feelings. You doubted my sincerity. State, that felt unfair and hurt my feelings. Inf uh, inform. Finally, request very clearly and simply make clear that you expect the rude behavior to cease. I would appreciate it if from now on you are more careful before saying hurtful things. S I R. State, inform, and request. In the next, I'm going to finish this part of the presentation before we open the floor for questions with a couple um, of uh, examples 
from the final section of the book, the section on uh, uh, situations and solutions. There are, it's divided in, di in different sections. One is uh, encounters, rude encounters with family and friends, with neighbors, uh, customer service, on the road, uh, on the internet, digital rudeness, and, and uh, some of my favorite are from the workplace and parents and uh, sons and, and children, uh, relatives, and so I'm going to read a couple of, of these situations with the solution uh, f for you from those sections. The situation. A colleague keeps shifting blame. Margot is a smart and competent, but does not seem to realize that working with others requires accepting responsibility as an individual. Anything she happens to do that might reflect poorly on her, she blames on someone else. This constant shifting of blame does not endear her to her fellow department heads. As her mentor and friend, you know it's time to talk. The solution. Say, Margot, whether you miss a deadline or lose an account, you always point the finger in someone else's direction. But it's your deadline, your account, and your responsibility. Yes, sometimes someone else uh, not doing his or her job will mess you up, but rushing to blame others makes you unpopular and it does not make you look like a leader. As a department head, you are responsible for your staff's work as well as your own. And shifting, of course, it's an important notion when it comes to rudeness because a very basic engine of rudeness and hostility is insecurity. Very often we are rude to others, hostile to others, difficult to others, in the workplace in particular, when we are insecure, insecure that we are going to keep our jobs, insecure about our competency, we are in a new position, there is a new boss, etc., etc. And what, we, what do we do very often? We shift the burden of, the, of that insecurity onto others in the form of hostility, a shifting of the burden. So just being aware that this is what happens of these psychological mechanisms will allow you to both be less rude yourselves in everyday life, even in difficult situations like these, but also to manage better uh, the rudeness that is generated by this mechanism when it comes your way, and that is very helpful too. The final uh, situation and solution uh, and the final uh, reading from the book is uh, from uh, the part with dealing, about dealing with uh, relatives and family. The situation is your grandmother revisits your weight problem. <laughs> Bridal radiance, married stability, and prompt pregnancy are what your loving grandmother sees in her mind's eye when she sees you. Her 31-year-old, still single, granddaughter. Loving she is, tactful not quite. Now, dear, you have a great smile. You are smart and you are funny. 
It doesn't mean that you have to settle for less than the best just because of your weight problem. You were so slim in high school. Oh, well. Although she has occasionally dwelled on your weight before, her comments really bother you now. Isn't there an unwritten grandmother-granddaughter covenant saying that the former must find the latter nothing short of flawless? The solution. Try a response something like this. Granny, I may be a couple of pounds over my regular weight, but I wish you wouldn't judge me. It makes me feel that I'm a disappointment to you. What do you say we drop the issue of my weight once and for all? Let's talk about something else when we are together. This gives you a sense, I think, I hope I was able uh, in the past uh, few minutes to give you a sense uh, of what the book is about. It is a slim, it's a slim book, but I think there is plenty to think about uh, and uh, something that you can always apply. Uh, if you want my advice, don't think that you have the solution to read just the situations and the solutions and apply them. It will not work. You have to prepare yourself, and the first part of the book that tells you how to be accepting, for instance, how to accept reality, uh, and how to accept the fact that an act of rudeness has happened. Uh, it goes a long way. You condition yourself to uh, deal, to dabble uh, successfully in acceptance. And then, when you get to the situation, you are in a better position to apply the uh, advice that you find in uh, that situation. Uh, I said that I would finish my readings uh, with that uh, uh, situation, but I lied. <laughs> because I can't help but reading you uh, a quotation that closes the book by Christopher Hansard, because I think it is, it expresses the wealth of human spirituality of beliefs, of profound persuasions about what life is and uh, the fact that we are all, whether we like it or not, the trustees of one another's happiness in life. The principles, in other words, that are at the root of both my first book, Choosing Civility, and the new book that are present we are presenting tonight. Relationships are the foundation of humanity. We derive our nourishment from them, learn from them, and thrive through them. Every human being wants to relate to other human beings. It is an essential part of who we are as individuals and as a species. And the way in which we relate to others determines how happy we are, how long we live, and the choices we make. Through our relationships, we discover our place in the world and our reason for being here. Life, as I never tire to say, is a relational experience. We do not live in solipsistic isolation, but we are creatures of the social ocean. To a large extent, the quality of our lives depends upon the quality of our relationships. Not completely, but to a large extent it does. But the quality of our relationships depends upon the quality of our relational skills. 
and good manners, civility, and politeness are very effective, time-proven codes of relational skills. Uh, the reasons there are two fundamental reasons because that allow us to be, to believe that civility and politeness are not trivial. One is the fact that social skills, because that's what we are talking about, civility-based social skills, social skills strengthen social bonds, and we need social bonds to survive and to thrive. And also, uh, the reason that civility and good manners are not trivial is because they do the everyday busy work of goodness. The everyday busy work of goodness. It is through them that, through the acts of, of, of regard, the acts of consideration that we do in everyday life, like letting someone merge from a side street, not taking someone else's parking at the parking spot, not taking other people's food from the office refrigerator. Uh, it is when we uh, pick up uh, a book that somebody dropped and we regard them, we take a second look, that we are at our best as human beings. And in the long run, that is what counts. And making people feel good about themselves is a very good way of going through life, a very rewarding life for us and something that uh, is worth giving a serious try. Thank you very much.